Hello, everybody. Um, I hope you're all feeling well. Thank you very much for choosing to join me this afternoon uh, for this next Zoom session. And I hope the technology will behave itself. Um, but as always, we'll put a recording on the website. So if there are any issues, um, don't worry. So the topic for today is, um, and I don't know why, so on my screen certainly, some random blue arrows are scattered across the slide. If you can see that, I, don't, I didn't put them there, or not knowingly certainly, so apologies for them if they're in any way distracting. Um, but hopefully with a bit of luck, it'll be just me looking at uh, uh, random things that have appeared and not you. Um, but topic for today's webinar is following on from last week where we talked about diagnosis of CKD. Now we're moving into to really a key part of treatment, which is nutritional support. And any of you that have had the bad luck uh, to have a cat of yours uh, suffer from CKD will know, um, I'm sure, that diet plays a really important role in supporting affected cats and, um, and really improving their um, long-term prospects in terms of health and well-being. So what I'm going to cover in the next half hour is why is a special diet often recommended for cats that have CKD? Um, what are the characteristics of this food? So why are they these foods designed in the way they are? And uh, what benefits potentially or proven is there to doing that for our cats? Of course, importantly, how can we encourage our cats to comply with our dietary recommendations? Because it's all very well for us to decide as a, as a vet, as a clinician myself, and then talking to you as a carer. Well, yes, we, we think a therapeutic diet is the right thing to do um, for your cat. Um, but then, of course, we have to factor in the fact that uh, the cat has to also decide whether or not it wishes to comply with our recommendations. Um, and uh, so I'll spend some time talking about ways that I think we can help uh, support compliance. What also do we do? if we can't get our cat to eat the food that we want it to eat. Um, and some principles of this will also apply to other diets, uh, dietary recommendations that might be made for other illnesses. So what can we, what approach is sensible? Um, and what about those situations where our cat genuinely needs a different diet? Perhaps it, it has a concurrent illness, which is also very much uh, impacted by diet. So that, that's the plan. So firstly, why is the special diet helpful? Well, the main feature of these therapeutic diets, as I will refer to them, um, is that they are low in phosphate. And phosphate is an essential nutrient, which we all need in our diet. Hello, someone's going past the camera there. It's always nice to see evidence of cats. Hello. <laughs> um, so phosphate is an essential nutrient. We need all our cells have a cell membrane that contains phosphate and the energy transport systems within the cell also use phosphate. So phosphate is essential and we need it. And we get it through our food in a variety of substances from a cat's perspective, meat and dairy are really high in phosphate so our cats we know as a species have a high protein requirement and so a lot of their, their protein they get from meat and that also has a lot of phosphate in it as well and in a normal healthy cat um, the excess phosphate is excreted through the kidneys and so the normal kidney function is required to control uh, normal blood levels of phosphate 
So unfortunately, the consequence of kidney disease is that immediately our cats become vulnerable to accumulation of phosphate so that the kidneys aren't as good at getting rid of that phosphate so levels start to build up in the body and that triggers a sequence of events that ultimately result in firstly a condition called renal secondary hyperparathyroidism very very long term what that means is that the parathyroid glands which are small glands within the neck and they produce a, a hormone called parathyroid hormone that is important in regulation of phosphate levels and in fact parathyroid hormone or PTH as it's abbreviated stimulates the kidneys to excrete phosphate so in the early stages of disease having more PTH in your system actually can be effective it can trigger the kidneys to excrete more phosphate and it can help to keep the phosphate levels where they should be However, unfortunately, the, what happens is that as time goes on, the kidneys just can't keep up with the demands on them to excrete phosphate. So in spite of having that extra PTH to encourage out the phosphate, levels of phosphate carry on accumulating. And that means more and more PTH is produced and actually that then starts to be harmful. So what started off as a perhaps well-intentioned is, is the, the wrong way of saying it because parathyroid glands don't have intentions, but as a well-intentioned process suddenly then flips into being one that's actually harmful for the body because high levels of PTH uh, make our cats feel ill. It's considered to be a, a toxin in high levels, so it makes you feel ill, but also, unfortunately as well, it contributes to progression of kidney disease. It makes the kidney disease progress more quickly. So um, that is why uh, the phosphate content of the diet has been something we've focused on now for many years. And the solution to this issue for our, our kidney cats is phosphate restriction. And what that means is limiting the amount of phosphate in the food um, for the cat so that we help to compensate for the, the fact that the cat is retaining so much phosphate because of their poor kidney function. So they still need some phosphate, but we're just limiting it really to, to the essential amounts. And overall, the benefit of doing that is going to be that our, our cat should feel better because they don't have these high levels of PTH making them feel sick. They should also live longer because we know that activation of that renal uh, secondary hyperparathyroidism shortens lifespan in cats um, and uh, that their uh, kidney disease is much less likely to progress. So this is why this is such an important recommendation and that's commonly made. And IRIS, which is an organisation I think I may have mentioned uh, last week, but it stands for International Renal Interest Society. And their website, iris-kidney.com, um, has a lot of educational resources which are aimed primarily at vets. Um, but those of you that are choosing to listen to this would, I would think, still be able to get a lot of useful information out of those documents, even if they are a bit more technical, because you're clearly uh, technically minded people yourselves. And what you will see there is that from a phosphate perspective, Iris recommend that we automatically phosphate restrict where possible all cats with azotemic kidney disease. Azotemia is that term we talked about last week where blood levels of creatinine are higher than normal because uh, they're not being excreted by the kidneys. So this is uh, iris stage two, three and four. And in fact, that we phosphate restrict, even if our patient's blood phosphate levels look normal, we assume that they will still benefit from it. 
And this is just a, a screenshot from a paper. So I'm still seeing these random blue arrows horizontal, uh, horizontally on my screen. And apologies if you are. So just ignore those three arrows that if you can see them. Um, but the key data on this slide is from a study done uh, just over 20 years ago, um, published 20 years ago. And it looked at survival statistics of cats with kidney disease. And uh, a, a number of cats in this study received uh, a normal phosphorus diet, so a standard cat food, and uh, another group of cats received what they called a, a restricted phosphate diet. Uh, so this would be your sort of kidney diet. And what is shown here is the average survival of those cats in days. So you can see very clearly that the cats in the restricted phosphate diet group are living on average more than twice as long as those cats in the normal phosphate diet group. So very clear evidence here of benefit, but as, as mentioned already, we need the cats to buy into this as well. So we'll talk a lot about how we can uh, help to optimize that. This is an iris table which shows how we categorize the severity of kidney disease, one being the least severe for the most severe, according to our blood values, creatinine results. And uh, so we have the non-azotemic cats, the cats that have a normal creatinine result, less than 140 if you're working in the same units as me. Uh, some countries will use milligrams per deciliter, in which case it's less than 1.6. And then we have through different gradations of severity of kidney disease to the most severe, which is stage four. And what I've added to the right is the target phosphate levels, which are um, advocated by IRIS, this International Renal Interest Society. And so what they uh, are currently saying is that where possible, if we can, our cats with CKD should have a phosphate, blood phosphate level less than 1.5. Uh, that should be our aim. And the reason why it's higher for stages three and four is not because we want it to be higher, but unfortunately to recognize it just might not be possible in those cats with really severe renal disease to bring the phosphate levels down as low as we would like. So whilst we would like it to be less than 1.5, in a cat with stage four disease, if it's less than 1.9, we're doing an absolutely brilliant job. And obviously any more than that, even better, but uh, basically we have to be realistic. Um, so the, the significance also of mentioning these is that if you, are, um, if you ask your vet clinic for copies of your cat's lab data, you will notice that the reference range for phosphate uh, actually goes much higher than 1.5. Um, in most laboratories, it will go up to 2 or even 2.5 because there are some life stages, young growing kittens, where actually it's normal for phosphate levels to be uh, towards uh, 2 or even a little bit higher. And that's completely normal because they're just developing their muscle and their bone. And a lab reference range, therefore, is, is designed for a species, but often it, it's designed to show the full range of what might be normal. And in a cat with kidney disease, we want to use a different range. Um, that's, that's the key point here. So ideally, phosphate less than 1.5, if at all possible. So how can we actually achieve that? So we've decided, yes, we're bought into the idea of phosphate restriction, but actually practically, how does that work? Well, step one, it's not really phosphate restriction, but I do think it's really crucial that we um, encourage our cats to maintain its hydration as best as possible. We know cats with kidney disease are very vulnerable to becoming dehydrated. And the consequences of that are that the blood flow to the kidneys drops off, and therefore the kidneys are 
not able to do as good a job as they can. In other words, it makes things much worse. And so even that amount of phosphate that the kidneys could excrete is compromised if the cat is dehydrated. So we want our cat to be optimally hydrated. So the blood flow to the kidney is optimal so that the kidneys cells that are working can work to their very best to excrete whatever phosphate they can. Beyond that, it's limiting what, what gets into the body and the way that phosphate gets into the body is through the gut. So it's feeding a phosphate restricted food, if at all possible. Um, and secondly, considering using substances called phosphate binders, uh, which I'll talk about a little bit later. From a food perspective, the most aggressively phosphate restricted foods are the uh, what I would call the therapeutic renal diets, the specially designed, what sometimes we'll also call prescription diets, um, diets that are very much intended for cats with this condition and not for other cats. So examples of uh, brands that you may have heard of would include Hills, KD, Royal Canin, Renal, for example. Uh, these are therapeutic renal diets, which I'll spend definitely some time talking about. Um, the next possibility would be a, perhaps a home prepared diet if you have support from a veterinary nutritionist, which incidentally is not me. I go to other veterinary experts for help designing home prepared diets for, for any patients of mine where the owners are interested in this. Senior diets, those aimed at older cats, tend to be moderately restricted in phosphate. So they are a tear down, but still can be helpful. Um, and of course, we want to avoid things that are high in phosphate as a supplemental food to our cat with kidney disease. So that would include things like milk, cow's milk, uh, and also things like um, meat sources as well that tend to be high in phosphate. And we'll talk more about the binders later on. But starting with the therapeutic renal diet, um, why feed it? Well, first thing is really goes back to that evidence. So it, this is actually the single most proven treatment for CKD that we have at the moment. And uh, as you probably will know, there are a lot of different treatments that can be helpful in cats with kidney disease. But if you look at those very critically and you look at the quality of the evidence available, what you will see is that the only treatment that's got very strong evidence of benefit for pretty much every cat is going to be feeding a special diet um, and as I showed in that chart it typically would be expected to have a, an impact on lifespan by increasing it by two to three times so it, from my perspective it's got to be a priority treatment where at all possible and there are multiple, multiple different brands. So there's just a few examples shown on this slide um, and uh, listed as well in, in the text there. So you may have had experience of some or all of these, um, but there are others as well beyond that. And the, the good news about that is that um, there is such a range of different formulations and flavours and you know, textures. Um, for example, the Royal Canin uh, renal dry foods, they have three different sorts of, of uh, kibble. So different sort of sensation for the cats. And some cats will really love, you know, certain formulations compared to others. And that's great because it does give us um, a good deal of choice. So what are the characteristics of these foods? Well, the first one, number one, is obviously that phosphate restriction we've already talked about. So the intention of that is preventing or reversing renal secondary hyperparathyroidism, which, as I've mentioned, makes our cat feel ill and shortens their lifespan. So that's the first thing we've ticked off our list. 
the protein within these therapeutic diets um, is selected to be a very high, uh, what's called biological value, high quality with uh, minimal waste products. And the rationale for that in a cat with kidney disease is we know they're vulnerable to uh, retaining protein waste products because these are normally excreted by the kidneys into the urine. So if we can really titrate the amount of protein we think they need and give them a really high quality protein, that hopefully is going to help limit the buildup of uh, some of these products, which could con contribute to the cat feeling unwell um, if they have all these sort of waste and toxic uh, substances in their bloodstream. Cats with CKD are vulnerable to developing a condition called metabolic acidosis, which is where the blood becomes more acidic than it should be. And this too is very harmful to the cat, makes it feel ill, will definitely have a, a harmful impact on their quality and likely length of life. Um, these therapeutic diets are designed to really try and support and, and avoid that where possible. And there is some evidence that they are able to do that, which is good. They tend to be supplemented in things that cats with kidney disease are vulnerable to losing in their urine. So examples would include water-soluble vitamins. Obviously, producing a lot of very watery dilute urine, it does uh, have that risk of taking useful things with it as well. And uh, those water-soluble vitamins, B, B vitamins, for example, would be an example there uh, where um, that can lead on to, to have uh, negative impacts on our cats with kidney disease. And then also supplemented in potassium and cats as a species are vulnerable to this phenomenon whereby when they have chronic kidney disease, they're actually vulnerable to losing potassium in the urine. And uh, in severe cases of this, um, you may end up with a, a cat uh, as this uh, lovely black and white cat called Emma on the left hand side. This is when she came into the hospital um, and she, as you can see, she's being held up or maybe you can see there's a little bit of an arm in the picture holding her up, but she's showing really severe muscle weakness. And in fact, the muscle weakness is so severe, she can't even hold her head up. Um, and you you can see from her ear position and, and even perhaps a little bit from her eye position as well, she seems to be interested in what's going on in the environment, but she literally cannot lift up her head. And in cats, um, they need uh, uh, muscles to be working well to be able to lift up the head. They don't have a ligament that, to help support the head, which many other species do. And when potassium levels fall very low, um, and in Emma's case, this was because of kidney disease, um, that can actually cause really serious muscle damage and uh, result in this very, very severe muscle weakness. And uh, un unsurprisingly, um, she was extremely depressed and lethargic and, and not eating and really very poorly. But the happy news is that, as you can see from the picture on the right, which was taken just a couple of days later, we actually can treat this. So um, it's not always, in fact, it's rarely as severe as shown in that picture. More commonly, a cat with low potassium may just be a little bit off colour, a little bit lethargic, a little bit less keen on eating. Um, but the great thing is this is something we can treat. So uh, obviously we should do that. 
Um, these diets also tend to be lower in salt. The in intention of that is to try and reduce the risk of high blood pressure from developing, which is very much an acknowledged complication of kidney disease that we can see in up to two thirds of our patients. Um, whether or not the low sodium really makes much of a contribution, I'm not sure, but that's, that's why that's done. Um, and then lastly, uh, or maybe not quite lastly, actually, palatability. Um, and I've put, yes, they are designed to be palatable because often anyone who's had a cat with kidney disease will have had a struggle at one time or another to get their cats to um, actually eat some of the foods or maybe all of the foods that have been offered um, and so it, it's the tendency uh, of course would be to say well obviously the food is not very tasty it must taste disgusting but actually the the food companies um, and they've been kidney diets have existed for I think about 50 years in one shape or form that was one of the first therapeutic diets or possibly even was the first therapeutic diet to be uh, made by pet food companies and they're constantly refining and improving the palatability so all of the big companies um, are you know every year there are new versions that come out and uh, whether it's uh, for example the hills recently um, have added a stew range uh, sort of uh, chicken and vegetable stew for cats with kidney disease. Royal Canin, I've already mentioned, they, they've got uh, three different sorts of kibble for their dry food, but multiple flavours and consistency for their wet food as well. So they're constantly working on what can improve palatability and all cats are different. So it's good that we have choice and you might find you do need to, you know, try different brands as well to find what works uh, for your cat. And then lastly, um, these foods are also uh, typically very calorie dense. They're, they have high amounts of fat in. And uh, the rationale for that is that if your cat with kidney disease has not got a brilliant appetite, and let's say it's only going to eat 20 mouthfuls of food today, if it has 20 mouthfuls of a therapeutic diet, it's likely to take in a lot more calories and goodness. It's much more concentrated uh, than perhaps 20 mouthfuls of a typical uh, maintenance adult cat food. So lots of different modifications. The phosphate restriction is considered to be the one that is most proven uh, to result in an increased lifespan and increased well-being in affected cats. But these other modifications have uh, definite advantages, even if it's more quality of life than length of life. So what are my tips for successful transition to a renal diet? Well, if your cat is diagnosed with CKD, then the first message I would uh, be very much keen to instill in you would be that um, this is a long-term aim. Uh, we don't, no clinician uh, in a vet practice is going to expect you within a week to have changed your cat's diet from whatever it has been for perhaps many years onto a therapeutic renal diet. In all likelihood, it's going to take weeks, months, and you may never fully achieve it. However, I would still say that anything you can do to get your cat eating a higher proportion of renal diet as part of their overall daily ration is, in my view, all adding good. So even if you can never get beyond, let's say, 70% of your cat's food intake is a kidney diet, that, in my view, is still 70% better than you know the zero uh, renal food in there. So don't be daunted if you don't completely succeed. Um, do expect, I think always as well, that there are going to be foods that your cat may not like. You probably are going to be throwing away food unless you've conveniently got uh, a Labrador that can hoover up the food and you're not worried about um, obesity and that uh, dog eating lots of extra cat food and its ration. Um, 
it can it can be tough emotionally dealing with that side of things and just take baby steps you know and uh, rejoice in in baby steps as well from the cat's perspective tends you tend to get better compliance if you can start earlier in the disease so early diagnosis and early transition to a therapeutic diet is probably going to be more successful of course those cats in very advanced kidney disease you know they they could be very very ill and are not going to be readily persuadable to eat the food that you want them to eat um, try and separate medication from feeding just because we don't want the cat to associate unpleasant uh, activities like receiving a pill for example with eating where possible because that might put them off eating their food um, similarly if your cat's having a, an off week uh, or is, is not very well immediately following diagnosis um, then I would say delay starting the new diet until your cat's feeling better because otherwise if they have a new food when they're still feeling a bit ill they might eat some of it but they may later also come come to associate feeling ill with that food and then not eat it. Uh, a wet food, if possible, is preferred just because, of course, it has more water intake. And we've already said cats with kidney disease are vulnerable to dehydration. So where possible, uh, that's a preference. But dry renal diets are still much better than non-renal diets. So um, focus on, on the therapeutic diet where at all possible. And you can, as I've mentioned, use a home prepared diet if you have appropriate support. Some other general tips for supporting appetite on this slide. So um, I think in a, a previous um, webinar, I also presented similar information, but just general tips to pick out here would be um, cats generally prefer not plastic. They, they tend to prefer glass, metal or china dishes and they don't like their whiskers touching the sides. So a flat dish like a saucer is often preferable to a bowl that the cat might have to put its head into to eat. Resist the temptation to open all the pet foods and all the delicious foods you have in your house simultaneously and surround your cat with the buffet option because that can be counterproductive and, and very overwhelming. If you think that your cat may have mobility issues, arthritis, then raising the food bowl, perhaps putting that saucer on an upturned uh, plastic mixing bowl, for example, might make it a little bit more comfortable for your cat to eat. Also hand feeding, you know, most cats will absolutely adore that sort of level of attention, uh, sitting with your cat, uh, grooming them and, and taking care of uh, any sort of ocular or nasal discharges to make them feel better about themselves uh, can all help as well. If your cat likes catnip, then a little bit of dry catnip can help. Um, some cats, the nutritional supplement Fortiflora seems to have a little, little bit of a uh, tempting um, essence to it. I, I have been informed by a number of, of uh, my clients. Um, and if you are going off piste with your food, so away from the renal diets, then I think anything that is obviously not poisonous to cats is okay as a short term option. So if your cat literally will only eat cooked chicken, that's definitely better than nothing. Um, but make sure if, if you are feeding something like cooked chicken that you don't get um, a a cooked chicken from the supermarket that perhaps has been basted in onion and garlic because these substances are toxic to cats and whilst uh, often not fatal definitely not helpful uh, to give the cat so avoid anything with with onions or garlic 
if your cat won't eat the food, well, first thing is, as I've said here, be prepared for that possibility because we know, you know, depending on the severity of kidney disease and also depending on your cat's general levels of fussiness, um, that, you know, it's not always we can say, well, this is the best food for you, but we still need our cat to uh, agree and uh, join in with that plan. So be prepared for some resistance. And always remember that some food is better than no food. So if your cat won't eat the diet you want it to eat, but it will eat, let's say another cat food, just go with that. Um, and worst case, you know, if the cat will only eat sardines or tuna, again, as long as there's no garlic or onion in there, then in the short term, that's, that's going to be better than your cat eating nothing. Obviously in the long term, definitely want to involve your vet clinic and get some support to try and uh, uh, help your cat eat the food that you want it to and I'll talk a little bit uh, about that in a moment. It's good that uh, there are multiple uh, varieties of brands and, and formulations so um, I think that that can only be good for us although it's frustrating sometimes that you have to buy quite a big bag of dry food or quite a large amount of wet food that is frustrating I know but at least there is a great deal of choice um, and importantly involve your vet clinic in any concerns you have make sure that they are aware that you're having a concern definitely don't suffer in silence and talk about what might be helpful um, and for example there are a lot of things that uh, in cats with kidney disease can contribute to a poor appetite from a kidney perspective there's a number of, of reasons why they may have a, a poor appetite as identified here so they're obviously building up uh, waste products in their bloodstream that are not being excreted effectively by the kidneys and that can make them feel ill they may be uh, dehydrated as a result of their kidney disease um, and that of course is going to make them feel even worse um, they may have problems with their blood salts their electrolytes so their low potassium that i showed you that cat emma that was very very floppy that of course you know emma was not going to be eating when she came in like that she was very very weak we know also that cats with kidney disease are vulnerable to anemia uh, a lack of red blood cells and that can make you very weak as well and many uh, of our cats with kidney disease are older cats and they often have concurrent health problems that may also have an impact on, on their appetite. Um, so a good example of a very common old cat condition would be arthritis, osteoarthritis. Um, and that can mean that uh, it's very painful moving around and painful crouching to eat. And that too can have a bad impact on appetite. So whenever uh, any of my patients have a poor appetite, this is the sort of uh, process I go through to try and think well what could be the cause of poor appetite in this cat and what can I sort out so so when I'm talking to vets I'm often talking about finding and fixing things um, to to help Im improve the, the patient's condition and the video that hopefully is playing on the right hand side is a lovely video of a cat called Buff who is um, having some subcutaneous fluids at home. Buff is uh, a cat with CKD who is vulnerable to becoming dehydrated as a consequence of his CKD. And uh, in this very nice video, I think that the main highlight is you can see it's clearly a, an easy treatment for him at home. He's not being restrained really in any way. He's having a nice bit of cuddle time with his owners and receiving his fluids. Um, and uh, since identifying that dehydration really was an issue with him, um, 
being able to support that at home has meant that he's had a much better um, well-being, quality of life, much better appetite, as we would expect. So, um, so finding and fixing these problems really is the highlight here and a bit of a checklist here, which it would be the sort of checklist I would discuss with in my clinical lectures to, uh, to vets. So, for example, include some treatments for um, nausea, vomiting. Uh, Meropotent is a, a vet licensed treatment. So uh, one of the main brand names of that is Serenia um, that you may have come across. Metazapine, sadly, is not vet licensed, but can be very effective uh, as an appetite support um, and uh, also antiemetic and other options beyond that according to the individual patient's needs and I'm not going to talk um, today about um, arthritis treatment at all um, but uh, as you can see I have put meloxicam, uh, metacam is one of the big trade names for that um, as a possible option for um, osteoarthritis even in cats with kidney disease um, and I will come back to that in a, a subsequent webinar so it's, it's, uh, it, it is an option used carefully um, but uh, that merits more detailed discussion than, than we've got time for today. What about the situations where your cat needs a different therapeutic diet? So that also can be a problem. Uh, for example, cats with gastrointestinal problems, um, cats with diabetes, um, there may be situations where a different diet is the best diet for the cats and often when you have more than one condition um, again from a, a clinician perspective part of that initial plan pr uh, planning process is to try and prioritize well which condition do I think needs the more aggressive dietary approach is, is it the kidney disease um, in this cat or perhaps is it the, the gastrointestinal disease or the diabetes and you'll get a different answer really for every situation and that answer may change with time but there definitely are plenty of situations where for whatever reason we can't use a kidney diet in a cat with kidney disease and so the next point really here would be that if if that is something that applies to your cat and your situation then then don't panic don't worry about it because uh, medicine has to include the whole animal and not just one problem so if your cat has got more than one issue um, then that may be a reason why you need that different diet and there are various things that we can do uh, that still will help make that cat's experience dietary wise uh, more similar to a renal diet for example by using phosphate binders which I'll talk about next and supplements that can be added to the food as well. So work with your vet clinic uh, to make a plan that is most appropriate for your, your cat and your situation. Um, also consider possibly involving a veterinary nutritionist uh, in this as well if, if there are more complex uh, dietary needs. So what about phosphate binders to, to finish off with? So phosphate binders are substances. Um, they tend to be uh, a range of formulations. So some are liquid, some are powders, some are, are in a treat formulation. Um, and they are intended to be given mixed with food. And the way they work is to bind the phosphate in the food and limit its absorption by the body so that when the cat eats that food, um, less of the phosphate that was 
what's present in that bowl of food is actually absorbed into the cat. So they're doing some of the job, uh, a big part of the job that a phosphate restricted diet might do, although uh, in reality, probably not quite as effective. So for cats with really severe kidney disease, you would prefer them to be having a, a phosphate restricted uh, food where possible but they can go a long way towards that and also importantly for cats with really severe kidney disease sometimes the phosphate restricted food on its own is not enough and adding a phosphate binder to that special kidney diet can make uh, all the difference as well. I also find they're very useful in that transition process. So uh, when we start off trying kidney foods in a new, newly diagnosed cat with CKD, um, in terms of uh, feeling like you're doing something it can be helpful to have phosphate binders as part of your plan and so uh, typically the way that I would recommend they're used in this situation is in the the non-renal food so for example if your cat absolutely loves whiskers and has been on whiskers for years and you're wanting to transition it onto a therapeutic diet the phosphate binder can be added to the whiskers, making it a little bit closer to your renal diet and supporting your phosphate restriction uh, process. There are um, a range of phosphate binders and definitely not all of them shown on this slide. Um, but for, on the, the veterinary side, uh, some examples would be Epacotine, which is a powder. Uh, Renate is also a powder and Pronephra is a liquid. And it actually can be horses for courses in terms of some cats will like the flavour of the, the Pronephra, which has got a slightly sort of yeasty uh, flavour to it and, and that liquid formulation. Uh, other cats not so keen on that. That, um, and do better with Renate or Apacatine and indeed there are other options out there. But if using uh, any of these, um, one bugbear I would have is that often the instructions on the bottle are not what I would write. So quite often they will say give X amount twice a day. And what I would recommend is that you want to um, look at the daily recommendation. So if let's say it's two mils twice a day of pronephra, then that's four mils per day. And if your cat typically has six meals, you want to divide that into those six meals. So just, um, it doesn't have to be precision, but you know, every meal should have some binder in it, not just two of those meals. And that was a nice thing about the Renate uh, sachets in that they're designed to be a sachet a day. So you can sort of work it out uh, in terms of uh, how much food your cat is eating. Um, a few years ago, um, I did a survey of owner experiences of, of uh, caring for a cat with CKD. And um, if anybody who participated in the survey is listening, then thank you very, very much. Um, I've really found this uh, the results from this survey extremely interesting um, and uh, one of the things that we asked um, people participating was if they had experience of using a phosphate binder and if they did what their top tips were for gaining acceptance in their cats and actually for uh, as well reassuringly about 70% of owners uh, broadly said it was no problem gaining acceptance of a phosphate binder in their cat. It sometimes took up to a couple of weeks, um, but you know, it, seven, for 70% of people, it was pretty easy. For the remainder, it, it potentially got a little trickier. Um, but you can see that the top tips listed here in terms of sensible ones, you know, starting with a low dose, gradually increasing, perhaps hiding it with 
something something strong tasting to make sure that it is consumed um, and my personal favorite which is the one at the bottom add to the food when the cat is not looking which I actually do believe is totally and utterly true because we all know um, our cats they do spot changes in our behavior like the it's time to go to the vet today behavior that cats are very very good at noticing when we're behaving a little bit suspiciously and adjusting their behavior accordingly so I think it actually is completely valid one to have there. Uh, we need to try and, and do these things in a way that uh, avoids detection. Beyond that, what else can you do? Well, uh, last week we talked about scales and uh, I think having a set of scales at home, if you have an older cat or any number of cats can be really helpful just to contribute to your, um, your peace of mind that your cat is stable uh, but also if you can see that your cat's weight is is decreasing step by step then that's definitely a time to get in touch with your vet clinic keeping a diary of relevant health parameters I think is really helpful for cats with CKD as well and particularly if you have a concern to actually try and, and record where possible how much food you've offered how much food your cat has eaten what exactly they're eating it does help us to then work out well what what is a plan that's really going to be helpful in this situation um, and of course involving us in the care plan uh, all of us in the care plan I think helps uh, to give the best outcome so in summary, uh, if you do have a cat with CKD, where possible, I think feeding a therapeutic renal diet uh, will improve their well-being, their quality of life and their length of life. So it absolutely is a, a no-brainer recommendation for me. However, it's not always easy because, it, and I think the same also applies to people with renal disease where a change in diet can be really hard to achieve if you have to give up some of your favourite foods. So it can be a struggle, but I hope I've been able to give some sort of tips and advice to help support you if you also to emphasize that you should never suffer in silence do involve your vet clinic because there's a lot that can be done and and even in the current situation that we're all in where where we're still in this lockdown we can't access the same level of vet services as typically would be available your vets are still very much there at the end of the phone at the end of an email and they will want you to be in touch if you've got any worries so um, thank you very much. Uh, just a reminder of some of the other supportive resources that Vet Professionals has. So there's the book, uh, the blog page, which is the bottom link, uh, which is under the helpful info uh, menu on the website, um, has links to all of the relevant stuff from a kidney perspective. And also a reminder that I do offer a telephone referral service. So if you are finding uh, challenges with managing your cat with kidney disease or other medical problems um, and uh, considering uh, getting specialist advice then this is a service that can be offered remotely via a telephone um, and it is covered by insurance if you do have pet insurance as well so so might be of interest. I've tried to through through the um, webinar in general uh, include as many of the comments and questions as I received and thank you all very much for sending those through. Um, the one that I didn't specifically include 
food uh, was a question about ionized calcium in cats with kidney disease which is the free calcium in the bloodstream the calcium that's not bound to protein um, but the reason I didn't include that was because it was quite a complicated question so I will um, try and send you a response to that in the next few days if you're listening um, to uh, to give a little bit more of an explanation uh, certainly it's it's quite a complicated question and uh, uh, that was my reason for not including it in this session but if there are further questions um, that uh, anyone would like to ask or if indeed there are other questions that I, I have unfortunately forgotten please feel free to ask them now either by unmuting yourself um, or by using the, the chat box which I'll, I'll move over so uh, I can see that as well. Um, 